0: Christmas. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Woo! Y'all came ready to worship this morning. All right, well, it's my pleasure to be here. We're going to have some fun together this morning. Our scripture uh, for this morning is Psalm 27. Psalm 27. It's one of my favorite psalms. Now, it's a relatively long passage, um, short for a psalm, but an entire psalm is long, but each psalm is a song, it's a poem. Uh, And so we're going to read the whole thing together this morning, Psalm 27, okay? So starting in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tents sacrifices with shouts of joy. I know you are all ready to offer some shouts of joy this morning. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. But I am still confident of this. Or in some manuscripts, I would have perished if I had not known that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Amen. Well, we see that things are not going very well for the psalmist in Psalm 27. Evildoers are seeking to destroy him. He has an army encamped against him. His enemies are spreading lies about him and threatening to hurt him. His own father and mother have given up on him. Now, he talks a lot about a lot lot of good things, too. Uh, His enemies will stumble and fall. He will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. God will hide him in the shelter. His head will be lifted up above his enemies. He will see the goodness of the Lord. But none of those good things have happened yet. And we know this because he closes with the only commandment in the entire psalm... Wait for the Lord. And I think this is an appropriate psalm for us this morning because Advent, these weeks before Christmas, are a season of waiting. Waiting for Christmas, waiting for the birth of Jesus, waiting for him to return, waiting for the Lord. And what does waiting for the Lord look like? Well, it's kind of strange because in the midst of his life falling apart, the psalmist doesn't open up by saying, gee, I am really worried. What if God doesn't show up? He doesn't say, he doesn't even cross his fingers and say, oh, I hope God doesn't let me down this time. He doesn't even open up by saying, God, what's taking so long? Instead, he opens by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And he closes by saying, I would have perished if I had not known that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because waiting means knowing that God isn't just good when things are going well for us. God's goodness is so important that even when we can't see it, just knowing it is there can keep us alive. Hallelujah! Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Good God Almighty, come on, saints, if you know that God is good, I want you to tell him about it, because, Lord, you have been good to me. And with every breath that is in my lungs, I will sing of the goodness of God. There is nothing more that is better than you. You are a shelter in times of trouble. You are a good, good father. You are faithful. Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life because you are good. Because when nothing else is good, God is still good. And he is worth Waiting for. Even trapped in the middle of a pandemic that seems like it will never end, God is still good. And the reason we come together in worship is to share that goodness. In fact, that's the title of my message for this morning, the goodness of God. Amen. Now, goodness is perhaps the easiest aspect of God's character for us to understand because the Bible has a lot to say about the goodness, not only of God, but of a lot of other things too. Uh, So biblically, uh, land can be good, fruit can be good, rain can be good, news can be good, people can be good. And we learn a great deal about the goodness of God simply by understanding that God is the source of good in all of these things. As scripture teaches, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. Now, in English, good is a fairly versatile word. If food is good, it probably means you like the taste. If food is good for you, it probably means you don't like the taste. (laughs) Being good means being virtuous, but being good at something just means having a high level of skill. A good amount means there's enough, but taking the good part means removing unsuitable pieces from a whole. If I say, I am good, I'm probably boasting. But if I say, we are good, it means we are at peace with one another. If I say, good for you, I'm encouraging you. If I say, it was for your own good, it was probably very discouraging. (laughs) Likewise, it is hard to see what a good dog has in common with a good cause, good looks, good food, or a good deal. And yet, somehow, all of those things are good. In English, the word good has a lot of different meanings depending on context. Now, thankfully, the Hebrew word for good that's used in the psalm here, tob, also has a large variety of meanings. In fact, all the uses of good that I just mentioned in English could also be translated as tob in Hebrew. And so all those things are in some way reflections of the goodness of God. But but there's one use of the word good in English that does not translate. okay? Because sometimes in English, when we say good, we actually mean mediocre. You know, if I finish preaching this morning and Bishop tells me that it was a good effort. (laughs) I'm going to know I didn't do too well. Right? And if somebody comes back from vacation and you ask them how it went and they say, oh, it was good. Your first question is probably going to be what went wrong. Because implicitly in our minds, a lot of times when we say good, we mean not great. Because in our heads, there's a hierarchy. You know, if good's here, then maybe very good is here. And then there's great and outstanding and excellent and fantastic. You know, good work will get you a B. If you want to get an A, you need to do excellent work. And if you want to get an A+, you need to do outstanding work. But that hierarchy does not apply to biblical goodness. Because in Hebrew, there is nothing above goodness. There's nothing better than good, and I'm being literal here, there is no Hebrew word for better. Or more precisely, (laughs) likewise the word best, there's no separate word for best. One of the words for best is also the word for good. Folks, the name of the song is, You're a Good, Good Father. They didn't name it that because you're an outstanding, outstanding father had too many syllables, okay? The song is Lord, You Are Good. That's the name of the song. It wasn't that because Israel Houghton thought saying Lord, you are fantastic would be an exaggeration, okay? If if we we talk about God's goodness, if we really meant God's okayness, all the songs we sing about God being good would be a lot less popular. You know, they join some of those lesser known hymns hymns like, oh, how I like Jesus, (laughs) average grace, a modest fortress is our God, I can go on, you know, be thou my hobby, our God is an adequate God, I surrender some. Folks, our God is not an average God. He's not a B plus God because God's goodness is beyond compare. It exceeds all our attempts to quantify it or bound it. When we say God is good, we are at the same time saying he is better than anything else. We are saying he is the best part of any gift. We're saying that there is something about him that sustains us, that keeps us alive in times of trouble. It's a goodness that is worth waiting for. So, how do we as people respond to God's goodness? Well, there are three answers to that question I want to give you this morning. Three proper responses we should have to God's goodness. We are to enjoy God's goodness. We are to be fulfilled by God's goodness. And we are to reflect God's goodness. Enjoy, be fulfilled, and reflect. So, starting at the beginning... The first and most natural response to God's goodness is to enjoy it. Good things are pleasant. They're enjoyable. They are meant to be enjoyed. That's what the psalmist is referring to when he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. The psalmist is describing the ways in which he enjoys the goodness of God. What is it that Bishop always says? He He says, my, 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 my God is good. My, 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 my God is good. You see, Bishop is not standing up here right now, and the musicians are not here to back us up, but we can still enjoy the goodness of God. Because God is good all the time. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good, you are good. All the time, all the time, you are good. All right, all right, you all sound good. But unless Bishop wants to get up here, you're gonna to have to stop because I only practiced some of that song and I'm done. But the point is that I enjoy singing that song. I imagine Bishop also enjoys singing that song. I hope that you all enjoy singing that song and the first purpose of God's goodness is that we enjoy it. That's the true purpose of any gift, really. If, if you get a gift and you don't enjoy it, well, that's not a very good gift. And with the goodness of God, we aren't just enjoying the gifts. We're also enjoying the giver. When we have good food or good friends or good homes, good health, a good job, well, those are gifts that God wants us to enjoy. But ultimately what he wants is for us to enjoy him through those gifts. Because these kind of material blessings are just one sentence. They're just one word in the love letter God is writing to his people. Our purpose is to be in relationship with God, to accept his love and to enjoy his goodness forever. You see, you can get too many gifts. Whoever said you can't get too much of a good thing did not know what they were talking about. Case in point, I love roller coasters. I love them. To me, riding a roller coaster is a good thing. I will wait an hour and a half in line for three minutes on the right roller coaster. Does my family have season passes to Six Flags? Yes, we do. Did we get them just because of our children? No, we did not. Because roller coasters are good. But let me tell you, there is absolutely such a thing as too many roller coasters. Can I get a witness? Because unless I want to see that funnel cake and that icy for a second time, there comes a point where I have to say, you know what, that's enough roller coasters for today. The same is true of every good created thing. You can have too much money, too much fame, too many shoes, too much food, too much success, too much comfort. We can have too much of those things and we can want those things too much, but there is no such thing as too much... ...when it comes to the goodness of God. Because because God is good all the time. When he has blessed us so much that we are embarrassed... ...God is still good. When God heals us of sickness, he is good. When I have had a few too many roller coasters... ...God is still good. When your grades are good, hallelujah, Lord, you are good. When your grades are not as good, hallelujah... ...anyhow, Lord, you are still good. Because the goodness of God never overwhelms us. Come what may, his goodness is always here for us to enjoy. And so this Advent season, take some time to enjoy the goodness of God. Get outside. In the beginning, God created the light and it was good. The seas were good. The sun, moon, and stars were good. The plants and animals were good. I will note that I have studied the scriptures and nowhere in the creation account does it say that Zoom is good. It does not say, and on the eighth day, God created TikTok. And lo, it was very good. doesn't say that. So, get off your computers, put away your devices, and enjoy God in the created world. And yes, I know, it is December. And I know that we are in New England. But snow can be good. If you do not think that, just ask any elementary school age children, say the words, snow day, and you will see good. Even when they don't have leaves, trees are good. Fresh air is good. And so we can enjoy God's goodness in those things. Another way we can enjoy the goodness of God is in Scripture. Read it. Because Scripture is filled with examples of the goodness of God towards us. Set a goal of reading through the Bible in a year. Read some passages of Scripture with friends. And if you need some friends to read through those passages of Scripture with... Join a small group. Because ultimately we are here to help each other enjoy the goodness of God. So we are first to enjoy the goodness of God. And in in enjoying that we are meant to find satisfaction. We are meant to be fulfilled. We are literally meant to be filled up with the goodness of God. The good that's all around us is meant to invade our hearts and our minds... And fill us up with his goodness. Scripture emphasizes this by consistently using imagery that's related to food when talking about the goodness of God. The psalmist in Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, because just by looking at it you can see that food is probably good. But to really know that it is good, you need to taste it. You need to allow the food to satisfy your hunger, to fill you up. And it's the same with the goodness of God. We are meant to allow it to fill us up. But being filled with the goodness of God looks a little different than you might expect. I think many of us think of ourselves like a glass. If I want to fill up this glass, I can pour some water in it. So I can just go like this. And now I will ask you, Is the glass fulfilled? Is it filled full of water? No, No, it's not. Okay, hold on then. All right, now, is the glass filled full? No, No, okay. All right, is the glass filled full? Man, you all have a lot of confidence in my pouring skills here. All right, let's just see here. I'll get a nice meniscus on the top here. Now, is the glass full? All right, yes, the glass is full. I'll try not to walk too much and make the glass spill. But I think this is the image a lot of us have in our mind when we think about being filled full of the goodness of God. God pours out his goodness, and he just has to keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until we are full. But this has to be wrong, because we've already established that there is no such thing as too much of the goodness of God. And yet there's quite obviously such a thing as too much water for this glass. This can't be the way it works in terms of being filled with the goodness of God. And the reality is that our appetite for material things, food, water, shelter, those appetites, they don't work like a glass anyway. Because yes, if I am hungry, I can eat enough that I will eventually be full. But that won't last. No matter how much I eat, it's only a matter of time until I want more food. I won't be full anymore. Likewise, if I'm thirsty, I can drink my fill of water. Ah, but no matter how much water I drink, eventually I will be thirsty again. Our appetite for good things isn't like this glass, it is like a funnel. Because no matter how much gets poured out, the funnel is never full. And Yes, there is a such thing as too much for the funnel. I could have poured faster and overflowed the funnel and made a big mess... ...but there's no such thing as too much. The funnel is never full. And sometimes we allow ourselves to get caught up in this... ...always wanting more, always striving to be filled... ...but never feeling that it's enough. Using stuff to try to fill up the holes in our lives... ...pouring and pouring and pouring into those places only to end up feeling empty again. And can I say that sometimes Christmas is the worst for that? Because we come to celebrate the arrival of God, and what do we do? We spend money. Sometimes money we don't have to buy stuff. We go to sales that give us discounts so we can get even more stuff. We give the stuff to people. Sometimes it's stuff they don't even want. And how many of you... On Christmas, we open our presents. Have had this experience. You open up your presents, and you got all the things you really want. And you eat all the food, and after that, you feel empty. Like, that's it. I got all this good stuff. I thought it would feel different. Because we are chasing goodness with a funnel. Well, praise the Lord that His goodness in us is not like water through a funnel, because when we allow ourselves to be filled with God's goodness, there is no such thing as too much, and there is always enough. You see, when we allow ourselves to be filled with God's goodness, we are more like balloons. We take in God's goodness, (coughs) and there's still room for more. And more. There's not too much. And we are at every time filled up. But even being filled, there's still room for even more. And whether it's a lot or a little, the balloon is still full. There is no lack. There are no gaps. There's no emptiness. When we get more of God's goodness, our hearts expand to take it in and when we encounter trouble and things are tough and we are waiting for God, the knowledge of the goodness that is to come sustains us. It still fills us up so that even when life beats on us, we can hold up. You see, when it comes to the goodness of God, there is never a lack. There is never lack emptiness. This is why Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I have to give him will never be thirsty again, because the goodness of God satisfies us like no material thing can ever do. Now, I think being fulfilled, being satisfied, it gets something of a bad rap, because we associate being satisfied with settling, with not wanting things to be better than they are, but Being satisfied by God's goodness doesn't mean that other things aren't actually bad. We see this in the psalm. Psalm 27 writes, Evildoers who assail me to eat up my flesh, an army encamped against me, false witnesses who have risen against me and breathe out violence. And in the midst of that, he looks to God's goodness. And it's not like the goodness of God is some kind of consolation prize here. It's not like Psalm 27 is a bad country song where the, the writer loses his, his wife, his house, his dog, and his truck... ...but by golly gee, he still got the goodness of God. No, the psalmist talks of the goodness of God as the thing that was his help in times past... ...the thing that sustains him now, and the thing that he looks forward to seeing in the land of the living... This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said, I have learned the secret to being content in all circumstances. Not content with all circumstances, but content in all circumstances. Being content with circumstances means that you don't expect them to change. But you can be content in circumstances if you know that they will change. And so when Paul says, I have learned the secret to being content, whether well-fed or in want, living in plenty, oops, I said it wrong, living well fed, or, in, or what is it? Or hungry, ah, live having in plenty or in want, it is all a testimony to the goodness of God, the goodness that makes him satisfied without settling. It makes him content, but not complacent. It makes him fulfilled, but not finished. Because folks, something is not good just because it makes a bad situation more tolerable. Sometimes that just keeps you from getting out of the bad situation. That is counterfeit goodness. It is fake goodness. And I have to say that during the pandemic, many of us have gotten addicted to counterfeit goodness. We have accepted a compromise situation where as long as I get to wear my pajama bottoms during Zoom meetings, well, I guess things aren't really that bad as long as Netflix and Disney Plus keep rolling out new shoes, well, I guess things could be worse. As long as we can have virtual church, as long as the unemployment checks keep rolling in. Folks, these things are all counterfeit goodness. Yes, they are all good things initially, but eventually when we come to rely on them, they keep us stuck in bad situations. And the goodness of God is meant to set us free, to fulfill us in ways that none of those other things can do. And when we are filled full of that goodness, it gives us the confidence to act, so that we can say together with the psalmist, the Lord is my strength and my salvation, whom shall I fear? We can say together with Paul, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Amen? Amen? And so we are to enjoy... You can give some applause to that, that's fine. And so we are to enjoy God's goodness and be fulfilled by it. And finally, we can respond to God's goodness by reflecting it, by displaying it. Because once we are filled with the goodness of God, it is natural for us to become good ourselves. And here I'm primarily using good in the sense of not being evil. This idea that people respond to the goodness of God by choosing virtue over evil runs through the entire Bible. The prophet Micah tells us, He has told you, O people, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God? Jesus taught his disciples, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Galatians lists the the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible repeatedly notes that if we are filled up with the goodness of God on the inside, we can't help but have it show on the outside. If we're filled with good, we will do good. Notice in Galatians that it lists goodness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit is something that proceeds naturally from its source. So apple trees produce apples, oranges, orange trees produce oranges, cherry trees produce cherries. And so by naming goodness as one of the fruits of the Spirit, the Bible is teaching us that goodness in the sense of not evilness is a natural consequence of us being filled with the Spirit. The aim here is for us to be so filled by the goodness of God that we can't help but do good things. He pours out his goodness for us to enjoy, that we might be filled up and do good towards others. He wants our actions to reflect his goodness towards us. Unfortunately, things didn't really go as planned. Because in the Old Testament, when the word good is used with regard to people as opposed to being used with regards to God, it's usually being used to point out that people are not good. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's how sin entered the world. Five separate times in the Psalms, the author laments, there is no one who does good, not even one. Ecclesiastes asserts, there is not a righteous person on earth who does good. The prophet Hosea laments, Israel has spurned the good. And the same is true for us. If you judge us by our actions, we are not filled by the goodness of God. At least, not all the time. We don't display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. At least, not always. Because sometimes we are irritable, discouraged, impatient, angry, frustrated, unreliable, dishonest, harsh, or selfish. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. I think he's talking about himself. (laughs) And that is why Advent is such an important time for us, because Advent is a time of waiting. You see, most of the Old Testament was written between about 1200 BC and 400 BC. It's 800 years. And generation after generation, the story was the same. God lavished his people with his generous goodness, only to have them turn away and choose the evil over the good. And eventually things got so bad, God allowed the kingdom of Israel to be destroyed. His chosen people were conquered and exiled to live under a foreign power. And he sent prophets who promised that one day, one day, he would send to them a Messiah, an anointed one, a Savior. In about 600 BC, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That is, God with us. And so the Jewish people spent 400 years waiting for Emmanuel to come. ...waiting to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And this time it would work. There would be no turning away. The Messiah would would not only show God's people the goodness of God... ...he would help them reflect it. He would bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. According to Daniel, he would put an end to sin... ...atone for wickedness and bring in everlasting righteousness. And after 400 years of waiting, the prophecies were fulfilled... With the birth of Jesus. Jesus was the goodness of God in human form. He was good, the good and he did the good. And he died on the cross to pay the price for our not goodness. And so God raised him from the dead. And we look forward. We wait for the day when he will return. And if we accept Jesus as our Lord. Well then from that day onward when God looks at us. He doesn't just see us. He doesn't see our wrongs. He doesn't see our shame. He doesn't see our weaknesses or our failure. No, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the goodness of God in human form. Because when we accept Jesus as Lord, it begins the process of us being transformed, of our hearts and our minds and our lives being changed into the image of the goodness of God. Amen. Well, just for a moment, I'm going to invite you all to just bow your heads with me uh, so that we can
1: pray. It might be that with the Lord, he ask for you. In the person of Jesus. And so if that is you. If you
0: have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you'd like to do that right now. I'm just going to invite you. To just raise your hand where you're at. Because I would like to pray for you. No need to be self-conscious about it. Every every head is bowed. No one is looking to you. But but if you want to receive Christ in your heart. To be filled up.
1: to pray with you. Say
0: this simple prayer after me, a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. And just so no one feels embarrassed, I'm going to invite everyone in the congregation to pray with us. So saying after me, God, I come to you right now and I admit that I am a sinner. But I know that you sent Jesus to die for me. Jesus, come into my heart. Help me follow you all the days of my life. Father, I thank you that right now I am your child and I know that you love me. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. And if you just accepted Christ, we would like to follow up with you, uh, to help you as you begin your walk with Christ. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, there's going to be some instructions on the screen at home, or I think also on the screen here, perhaps. Um, we just a- invite you to reach out uh, after service uh, to, because we would really just like to welcome you to the family of God. Amen? Amen. All right, well, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are so that I can bless you to deliver God's goodness to you. And before I, we, I deliver that blessing, I just want us to sing a short closing song to remind us that, that all our lives, God is faithful to us, that he is good, that his mercy never fails us, that he holds us in his hands, that we live in the goodness of God.
1: Right. Thank
0: you. Amen. amen, amen. Well, now, please put out your hands and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you, look after you, shield you, defend you and take care of you. May the Lord make his face shine, grin, beam and show his pleasure on you. And may the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, pleasant, compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you and side with you as you side with him. And finally, May the Lord give you his shalom, his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success. And may the Lord remove anything that causes agitation or discord with his divine purpose and destiny for your life. In him this week, I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say... I receive that blessing, amen, and go in the goodness of God.
1: Hey family, thank you so much for joining us for today's service. Special thanks to those of you who continue to generously support the work of this ministry. We are so grateful for you and it's because of you that we can be a blessing to this community. If you enjoyed the service today, please like, Share with your friends and family, and subscribe to our channel so that you can get a notification whenever our services go live. We also invite you to follow us on social media at PT Cambridge in order to stay connected to this ministry. Hey, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for watching, and God bless you.